Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Her dad is the biggest fan. Of Glob. Of Glob. And, and, and she said, here's what she says. She goes, oh, he's a huge fan of Glob. He just loves Jonah. And, and you. And you and John. He just <laughs> loves Jonah. And you and John. <laughs> Where are you? Are you still on Martha's? No, Vineyard? you got it. You you nailed it. You nailed it. You had the right accent. I'm in the West Indies because that, that's that's what you were doing, right? Give me six toed cats because you got a real Hemingway vibe going there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the middle of July, and this is Glob Culture. I'm John Podhoritz in New York. Not in New York, but in a beautiful outdoor setting where he's wearing a really, really nice straw hat. Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. How are you? I am well. However I am, I'm not as good as you because I can see you're in, you're in some beautiful climb that I don't entirely understand. Well, I don't know what, what's to understand about it. It's just a... <laughs> really, I know. It looks it's like the outdoors. You're baffled yes. by the outdoors. I'm very, very baffled. Ba- very baffled by by the outdoors. Yes, I once was going to write a book called A Guide for the Indoorsman, just to give you an idea yeah. of my relation to the outdoors. Also indoors, Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. How's the hey. indoors working for you right now? The indoors are great. Um, I like the indoors, particularly since DC is particularly equatorial today or this week. Yeah. As is um, New York, as is yeah. New York today. Yeah. As is where I am, to be quite honest. I was last week where Rob is, so I, I kind of know where he is. I'm sorry to we, miss you. We by couldn't the way. connect. Um, yeah. but I, I know uh, you know, for listeners who can really connect the dots, they should just know that Rob is off uh doing some original research on limericks. And um <laughs> we'll just leave it there. <laughs> Do these limericks involve the word bucket? Uh, so, uh, no, not they start. That's how they start. Okay, they so, so they involve the word bucket. They do not climax, shall we say, with as the word were. bucket, as yeah. it were. Yes. Okay. Um. So, guys, I for my sins did see the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which I'm guessing neither of you actually has seen. Is that I have not seen it, but I've been loving reading all about. I've been loving everybody's threads about it. Uh-huh. People have been uh, on threads, been storm Are you on threading. Threads? Yeah, are you I've been on rethreading threads? some of the storm threads. Uh, and uh, Jonah, are you on threads? Have I you? Have you? Are you threading? I am. I am. I am so barely on Instagram. I technically have an account, and every now and then, 
when my daughter sends me videos, I go into it to be able to watch them, but I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to get to threads. I am on Blue Sky, which I set up and then have not been back to yet. I don't um, even know what that is. It's another this one is, of this is how This is how separated I've become from uh, self-expressive social media is that I, I think don't you know should get on threads uh, and mark the calendar and check and see how many days it takes you to, um, to right, basically toxify threads. threads. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I know the issue is not whether I would toxify threads. The issue is whether I would end up doing 75 threads a day. That, that, that is, that is where the, that's where the evil commences. I will not be doing so. It is now four and a half years since I, since I left Twitter and my life is immeasurably better. For yeah, not but, but the thing is, I mean, part of it is you you know your limitations and you know that like, you know, you walk around the Upper West Side with your sandwich board and your cowbell, but it takes a lot of effort to like replace the message on your sandwich board as you walk <laughs> around. So, you know, it's, it's, it's self-editing. It's very good. That is that is look when a person this was not true when I was on Twitter, when a person does a podcast five days a week, the idea that you should then each day also spend hours revealing your thoughts on everything you didn't talk about on right. the podcast is a level of solipsistic self-absorption that even I, even I even you reject. This was my but argument you, for not getting on Facebook yeah. 20 years ago. I was like, I was blogging 5,000 words a day. Yeah, right, like, right. Like, oh, I, another venue for me to share my views. Yeah. But when we, were, when we were on the corner with Jota, when you and, you and I were on the corner, you, it would, there would literally be moments when you would you would put a corner post and say something like, I'm just going to get a sandwich. I'll be right back. <laughs> like that. It was sort of like proto Twitter. Yeah. This was right. like days before it's like, or, or, or that kind of thing where it'd it be was like, better Twitter. Yeah. I can't believe that George W. Bush just said that. And that would just be the entire yeah. blog I, I think the the, 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 the the crucial test really here is, are you able to read something insulting about yourself or to you and ignore it, you know, irrespective of the other things you have going on, how bitterly nasty it is? Is it possible to read that and to not... Um, and then to let it go. And if you, if the answer for you is no, then you see, you shouldn't be on any of these any of these platforms at all. And if the answer to you for, for you is yes, then they're fine. But if it's no, there's, there's zero upside. There is, I think I explained this before, but and and I think Twitter has gotten so toxic that what I'm about to say is is not true. It was even it was less toxic though. It was unbelievably <laughs> toxic when I quit in March of 2019. But now the toxicity level is so over the top, like radiation, you know, at Fukushima. <laughs> Chernobyl. Okay. Right? So um, that the idea was you tweet 50 times a day. And let's say then you're tweeting 350 times a week. And then I don't know what the math there is for. So you're tweeting 1500 times a month. Mm-hmm. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. 18,000 tweets a year. One tweet can destroy you. 17,999 tweets are fine, or whatever they are. The 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 odds are bad. Like that is a bad calculus. But that's that, that you're you're talking about tweeting something that somebody's offended by, and the in the com- whatever yeah. the compression is, um, yeah. makes you uh, 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 say something or implies something you don't want to, and now you've been canceled. Right? No, yeah. I just mean the psychological damage, right? Which is easy for me to say because I never really say anything on Twitter. Um, that is, uh, you know, Jonah, I think both have had this experience. Jonah used to, I mean, I don't know I don't really pay that much attention now, but like Jonah was more of a sort of catch more flies with honey guy. He would be like, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, but I just don't think that that's an argument against yada, da, 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 or do you even know right. what I've written on this subject? Maybe go educate yourself before you. Yeah. When you say, shut your, up, maggot like brain. Yeah. Was, yeah. Right. <laughs> we don't Something need your like that. Right? <laughs> right. And um, I would go Don Rickle. I would just go for the insult. I would go right to the one-liner. This guy's right. heckling me, and I'm on stage, and I'm going to go back to him and crush him like a bug, right. like right. you know, like a like a like a good stand-up. Okay, well, so and that's me, bad. It's actually yeah. it feels Can, it yeah. feels weirdly good and bad at the same time. On the one hand, you're letting loose, which often feels good, and on the other hand, your bile, the bile affects you internally as you are expressing, as you are sort of like pouring it on somebody else. It's not as though you are immune from your, the biliousness and the mood that that biliousness will set you in. So it's a weird, never be satisfied. You'll never, you'll never get the moment. I used to say this about people when they get their show canceled or had a bad thing in, in show business. And they would like, uh, dream about whatever, you know, well, the next one will be a hit. I'm like, you don't understand. The next one's a big hit. You're still going to be pissed about this one. And the only thing that will make this pain go away is if somebody, you know, the person who made the decision calls you up and then takes you to lunch and says, please forgive me. I made a terrible mistake. Yeah. And I have in my bag here, $1 million in cash. And I hope it'll be a down payment towards making it up to you. There's no, but I mean, I, I guess here, so. So I do this podcast. I do this little four minute, um, or not, not four minutes anymore. It's like now it's minute eleven minutes commentary for uh, the Anglers called Martini Shot. I used to do it on public radio, and I was very scrupulously careful about um, not what I used to call not crossing the stream. So I would have this uh, L.A. public radio. It was on every week, uh, and I just talked about show business and I talked about you know stories and insights, my little insights, right. And I do the same thing, and I'm sort of careful never to really talk about politics for two reasons. One, because it's so boring, and like if you want to hear my thoughts about politics, listen to this, right? It's like a, just Google me. You'll find it. Um, and the other thing is that when I was doing drive time stuff, because my commentary was, uh, was Wednesdays during drive time, like people are listening to all things considered, and now they want – really going to want a five-minute commentary on politics? Give me a break. No. You have a little story, a little dessert, you know, a little you know, candy. Um. So I, but I'm doing that for the Ankler. I did one uh, for Father's Day. 
Um, and then I did one after Father's Day in which the subject of the martini shot was never read the comments. <laughs> yes. Do not read the comments on anything you write. Never read the comments. If there's a piece about you in the trades, especially don't read the comments because the comments will say things about you that are mean because people are mad at you. Because if you're, I have an article about you in the trades, it's probably because you have a show or a project or something went forward. And I use some, my own example was people saying, why is Rob Long not dead yet? Why can't he just go away? Why does he get another shot at this? Or he's terrible or he's really bad. Or, and then I put in the piece, or, you know, uh, I once, I think I've seen him as a guest on Fox News. I hate him. So, yeah, the all thing was plausible up. responses so far. All, totally yeah, all the, none of those are wrong. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, all legit, point? right? Right. So, so where's the lot? So, um, so then I put this. I do the podcast, and within 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 an hour. Because of the way Substack works, I get a notification that someone has 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 um has uh, uh commented on the transcript of it. So to read the transcript, you have to be a, you have to be a subscriber to the Angler. And I didn't really realize that it was that there were two the thing appeared in two places. So here's what I got from a oh, I, I assume a woman named Ursula about the pod about the thing that I said that don't read the comments. You definitely want to won't want to read this comment. Now that I know you're a maga asshole, I'm canceling my subscription to the Ankler. Let me be clear that your soppy boring story about your dad and shrimp made me think maybe I was wasting my money, but your bragging about being on Greg Gutfeld's show was all I needed to hear and I'm not hiding anonymously. You can reach me at and then she gives her her, her email anytime you want to discuss this. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would I want to discuss this? This doesn't seem to be a lot of room here. <laughs> but you know, it's in, like in the world. By the way, in the world of you, you started this by saying you'll never be sat. You'll never be satisfied. You can never. Yeah. You can never get never. satisfaction from never. this process. No. So today, I people have been telling me about it for weeks. I watched the first part of this three-part Netflix documentary on Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, and it was spectacularly good i haven't seen the other two so the first part is a, is called athlete and it begins it's the story of him and his career as a bodybuilder and uh and leaving austria and his tough upbringing with a father who had terrible ptsd from world war ii and drank and hit his mother and was very critical and his brother became a drunk and died in a killed himself in a car crash uh, you know, as a drunk driver and all it's a sad say he gets to Munich and then he gets himself to America. And at the end of this really trans very amusing, transfixing self-portrait, he says, you know, everybody looked at me and saw this incredible body. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, you look terrible. I I didn't like my body. I didn't like what my body looked like. I always thought that it could be better. And I always thought that I, if I, I should win another tournament. I always thought that I, I always needed to be looking out for the next thing. I was never satisfied. I could never be satisfied. And I've never been satisfied with my body. Now, I, I feel the same way about my body. Yeah. Me, I, I was about to say. <laughs> so his body, as you see it in it, 
is of course actually quite grotesque, right? I mean, it's it's that you literally see every single muscle expressed and blood, you know, veins popping out of his skin and this, you know, these bizarre lats, this bizarre human extremity. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! But he looked at it and thought he hadn't gotten there yet. He never, he wasn't, he hadn't really perfected this form. And he says, even into his 70s, that he still kind of feels the same way. So I thought to myself, you know, if Arnold Schwarzenegger has body dysmorphic disorder in which he thinks that his fit body isn't fit enough, then is there anybody who doesn't? Or is this just an extreme? Is he like some reverse... <laughs> image right. of an anorexic or like you yeah, know or, or something like that is that what it means to be that kind of person although he was very he says and it's really interesting he had this bead because he got interested in bodybuilding because he saw this muscle magazine when he was a kid with this guy reg park who was a south african bodybuilder who then shows up a movie in which he plays Hercules shows up at his local theater in his hometown and he goes to see it and he sees the magazine. And he's like, that's who I want to be. I want to be Reg Park. And that is how Arnold Schwarzenegger became, because it wasn't just that Reg Park was a bodybuilder. He was also a movie actor. And he was this guy who did a b- sure. different things. And this kid in the middle of rural Austria has this fix on something he can do to himself where he can transcend the life that he was probably going to lead as a son of a police chief in a in a rural area in middle right. europe and uh and he says like on the one hand you have to be able to clearly visualize your future and he was oh, always I, able to do that i enjoyed the euphemism the yeah. son of a police chief in in austria yeah, yeah. thank you yes <laughs> yes yes well his character in kindergarten cop was the son of a police chief in in austria so maybe i never realized that maybe it was an homage ah but anyway ah yeah mm. anyway i just thought this was very interesting because you know he is one of the great crazy great success stories sure right in human history, if you sort human of think history. about on the, on the on the basis of nothing, I mean, not in the top right? ten in human history, but if you like, if you're taking a sample of all of humans in human yeah. history, he's where, on the right becomes, side of the. Where would Alexander the Great? Be <laughs> he takes up that. a sport. He takes up a sport, a weird yeah. sport, and becomes the best person in history at it. Then, with no discernible talent or ability, and this thick accent. He becomes the biggest movie star in the world right. I get you. for I almost a decade. And then he becomes then, governor of the largest state in the country. And if it were not upset for the recall. Constitution, right. Yeah. And if it were not for the Constitution of the United States, saying that you couldn't be born in Austria right. to be president, he'd probably have become president. Well, he he um, I remember uh, when I was in 2004 at the Republican National Convention, and I was like smiling weird little for public radio as finding weird little like um dispatches from the thing and i i never covered a, I, i'm not a journalist i never i never knew where i was and it was in the it, it was in the old penn station and it connected to the old post office 
and like all of the grade Z um, media, El Chipo media um, uh, 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 headquarters were in the post office. And I was walking around and I, I bumped into Bill Crystal, I think, and um, and then was like, looked sad enough that Crystal invited me into the weekly standard, you know, container, which was large, yeah. and offered me a free Diet Coke, for which I'll always be um, grateful and gave me the Wi-Fi code. But I, I remember like trying to go and see the Schwarzenegger um, speech, and I had like a pass to go on the floor and hear the speech, and I got lost in Madison Square Garden, and I got stuck in between like security checkpoints, and I and I, then I was stuck in a stairwell, and I couldn't move. I was not allowed to leave the stairwell. The very large um, um, Jamaican security guard uh, was sitting at a on a very small stool, or maybe maybe the stool was normal size, but. When she was sitting on it, it didn't look normal sized, right? It looked like it was part of her. And watching the Schwarzenegger speech on a tiny little TV, mm -hmm. and uh, behind me was another um, a janitor who was uh, of some, you know, so south of the border uh, uh, extraction. And uh, and then Schwarzenegger started speaking, and they both of them were transfixed. And it was like a, it was like a Thomas Friedman column it was fantastic i was like here i was trapped watching a, the, the most successful immigrant to america give a speech to, and with two immigrants to america and they loved him they loved him uh and then uh then 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 the bell rang and i could go in and i forgot all that i don't even know who they were i forgot who they were <laughs> but but it was kind of an amazing thing because like it, it was one of those things where you think oh yeah i mean to 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 some of us he's kind of like a weird oddity I admire him, but to others, he is like a great American hero. He is, though. I mean, okay. with whatever his moral and personal shortcomings might be, and however those might focus, he says at some point, you know, it's important to keep busy, he says. You have to keep busy. If I had dwelled on my brother's car crash death, Right. And on my father's passing when I was in my 20s, what good would that have done me? I always looked forward. Right. Otherwise, you start saying, how do I feel today? Am I depressed? Am I a victim? And I would not allow myself to go there because I had things to do and ambitions to fulfill. Also, listen to that and you think, this is like the best yeah advice i've ever heard anybody give about anything it's obviously impossible for people and maybe that's why he could make a moral hash of his life because he didn't consider you know the emotional complexities of experience but you know you can't knock the guy who becomes mr olympia then becomes the number one movie star in the world then becomes the governor right. of california and has and nowhere else it, to go, really, except it, now he's back and he's got the number one show on Netflix, both nonfiction and fiction. Isn't it kind of cool also? I mean, I, this is a very weird way to look at it. I, I actually find the fact that he cheated on his wife with the housekeeper, <laughs> who was by no, not a looker. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Not a looker. Like, it wasn't, I mean, he, he was, the, he was the, one of the biggest movie stars on earth. I'm sure he could have had anybody he wanted, like, right, you know, it's, it's show business. But instead, it's like, there's something about that I kind of think, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's unregulated appetite. Who, who knows, right? But mm -hmm. it, it's it's interesting. 
it's it's a uh, proximity and opportunity i think explain a lot of it probably. okay yeah just yeah. sheer friction but still so, i don't know you know boredom and and whatever and you know the thing anyway i i i commend i haven't seen the other two parts which i gather are even more enticing than the one that i saw but in which case the, this is like an all-timer you know this is like the last dance except you know you don't come away with it thinking that he's a psychopath unlike the last dance where you come away thinking that michael jordan is a psychopath um we should take a quick break and let me talk to you guys about uh, our friends at Tommy John Underwear. Midsummer, right? The AC goes out. Uh-oh. Everybody's sweating except <laughs> you. Except you. Why? You're keeping your cool in your new Tommy John Underwear. When you wear Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable. So you can do everything better. Tommy John underwear has dozens of comfort innovations like breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands that can keep you seven degrees cooler than cotton with over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews. Uh, Guys across America love their Tommy Johns because there's no flopping, sticking, or chafing. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatical fanatics. One Tommy John fanatic raves the most comfortable boxer briefs ever. There's no downside. Buy one pair. You'll never want to wear any other underwear again. That could have been me because I'm wearing them right now. It wasn't me, but I could have said it. Tommy John's been covering America's butts for 15 years, caressing our most valuable assets in comfort, softness, and style. So shop Tommy John's Summer Collection and get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash glop. Save 20% right now at TommyJohn.com slash glop. See site for details, and we thank Tommy John for sponsoring the Glop podcast. And I am not done, my friends. I am not done with the discussion of our advertisers. So I also want to talk to you about Ladder, because if I, I don't want to procrastinate talking about Ladder. And if you're anything like me, you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute. And while most of the time it works out, the one thing in life you cannot really afford to wait on is setting up term and coverage life insurance. You may have seen insurance commercials on TV and thought, yeah, I'll look into that later. No, this is not something you can wait on. Choose life insurance through Ladder today. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or, or less, just answer a few questions about your health in an application. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. They made Forbes' best life insurance 2021 list. You just need a few minutes and a phone and a laptop to apply. It's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long-proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. And finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash glob today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R, life.com slash glop, ladderlife.com slash glop, and we thank Ladder for sponsoring the Glop podcast. So the other day on Twitter, uh, someone, I can't remember who, and we're not going to go back to talking about Twitter, but they asked the question, what movie do you hate so much that um, it could create a kind of rage? I think they said where you're like uh, Robert De Niro and King of Comedy, um, tying people up and, and abusing them. But it would just, 
what movie do you what movies do you hate so much and particularly ones that other people say are supposed to be good that make your eyes twitch or water um among the ones i offered were um uh regarding henry which i really truly passionately oh, yeah. despise oh regarding henry um it was part and just to explain to listeners regarding henry was a harrison ford movie where um he's uh, a hard driving businessman jerk and then he gets shot in the head and essentially lobotomized and all of a sudden he's a loving sweet man um and it was part of a whole genre in the Just 90s like francis pharma pharma which basically said francis pharma <laughs> that francis. white men were just evil by definition and the only way to make them decent yeah. was essentially to make them mentally ill like in sling blade which is another movie that at least was well made that i really didn't like very much so I've taken the Kaiser blade. Some folks called it a slang blade. I call it a Kaiser blade. And then obviously Traffic, which won an Academy Award, which was hot garbage. American Beauty, which I think was just a detestable, horrible movie. Um, I'd, throw in the list. I'd throw in the Highlander sequels, um, but that no one says those are good. Those are good. So it got, kind of violates my own terms. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Does anybody actually like the Family Stone? Uh... I don't know that it's possible to like the family stone. The family stone is a, everybody comes home for Christmas One movie. Those, yeah. I got and a secret. Sarah Jessica Parker is a, the tight ass fiance of somebody. And, uh, Luke or Owen Wilson. I can't remember which Wilson is the stoner brother of her fiance and gets her to get her freak flag to fly. And she's worse when her freak flag flies than right. she is when she's the tight-ass New York lawyer. So it's a terrible, terrible movie. Uh, I can give you another one in that vein, which is Home for the Holidays, directed by Jodie Foster. Another, mm -hmm. another one of those. The family comes together and everybody is dysfunctional. <laughs> we and it's to, like, gee, thanks. We used to you know. I why am I watching this? We used to make jokes about those in the writers' room. We'd say like, uh, uh, "Oh, it's one of those movies where they all come home for Thanksgiving," and then we'd say, "At, at what point does was one character uh, just in the middle of an argument just burst out burst out loud? I have cancer." Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's always like, "What? I I have cancer. Why I didn't mean, you? It, I didn't want to worry line... you. Your mother doesn't want to worry you. That's why." <laughs> The log line of all those movies and pl and plays that you're like this is yeah. when the family gets together right. for a holiday occasion, yeah. secrets are revealed, passions are engaged, and things will never be the same. Never be the and same. The minute I see that, it's like, see, ya. I ain't going to see that. Yeah. Let me tell you right now, I don't need to see that. You know, it's like. There are good ones like that. Like King Lear is good. Yeah. Right. That's a good family. They all long come home. Days, but yeah. Long day's yeah. journey into night. Mm. Very good. Very long. Very long, but very good in terms of the exposure of the secrets that have crippled everybody uh, in yes. a crippling way. And leave me alone. Like, stop with your family Michigas. I, I everybody has their own. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, here the uh, movie, what movies the, do you hate? The, what movies, the movies do you hate, that right? I find myself unable, just unable to stomach, um, are are uh, 
Uh, honestly, a lot of the Nora Ephron movies. There. Um, I like mostly, the Nora movies, mostly but... the Nancy Myers movies, where um, incredibly rich uh, old people uh, are, date and go on dates. And I just find that <laughs> so bizarre and so psychotic that, yeah, Keanu Reeves is really into Diane Keaton or something in her giant kitchen. And there's the moment where they Diane made it Keaton... work in Harold and Maude. I got. Yeah, you. that's right. Because that the movie's about that. Um, there, there was movie in the movie. Something something's got to give. Uh, I went to hate watch it with a friend of mine who kept turning to me during the movie and saying, something's got to give. And tell people like, Shh, quiet, we're enjoying the film. Um, uh, there's a part where she's, I guess she's a, pl- a writer, a playwright or something. She's and a she's playwright. Sitting, yeah. And she's sitting at her desk in her East Hampton mansion. Yes. And, um, and then she's like, she's typing so quickly, so furiously that you, it, 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 it it's like the shining. And she's nodding and laughing. And then at some point she's crying as she's typing. She's so moved by her own work. And I found it so repellent, such a smug, repellent, unrealistic. I mean, if 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 this is how those movies are written, then th- that explains why they stink. And they stink. I really like something's got to go, but I'm not going to get into a fight with you about it. Because I want to talk about what I hate, and I hate movies about hippies. That's what I, I hate movies in which <laughs> hippies, me? hippies are. That's are, ridiculous. I don't like Easy Rider. I loathe Easy Rider. I loathe Easy Rider with the with the heat of a thousand suns. What about hair? And I and what? How you feel about well, hair? Hair. Hair. So I remembered kind of liking hair because, like, I had a whole. I had the album when I was a kid, you know, and I saw it when I was 10 on stage and hair doesn't have a plot on stage. And then the movie, they kind of, they, they, they affix a plot to it. So I remembered it mildly fondly. And so one night I rented it to show to my kids. Let it fly in the breeze and get caught in the trees. Give a home to the fleas in my hair. A home for fleas, a hive for the buzzing bees. Nest for birds, there ain't no words for the beauty, the splendor, the wonder of my hair. So you may remember the movie Hair. Maybe you don't remember this. Twyla Tharp, the choreographer, is the choreographer of the movie Hair. So it doesn't have a conventional, you know, like, movie choreographer. It's this high art New York City ballet, yeah. modern dance with, choreographer. With Victor Garber, right? Uh, what, hair? No, Treat Williams. Treat the late Williams, Treat right. Williams. The late the Treat sadly Williams. late Treat Williams. Uh, and John Savage and Beverly D'Angelo. Anyway, so the movie begins and there's a there, there are these hippies in Central Park dancing to Aquarius. I love that. Stuff. And there's a horse. There are these horses and they're cops on horses in Central Park. And then the hippies start dancing with the horses. So the hippies are doing horse movements and the horses start responding to the hippies. And my daughter turned to me and said, why are you doing this to us? And we watched like half an hour (laughs) and my daughters and my son and my wife all said, this is terrible. Like this is unbelievably terrible. And I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, that's the whole revisiting thing. But I really did did hate 
uh, Easy Rider. And I hate, I mean, I hate preachiness of any kind. So I don't, what's a, I mean, American Beauty is, is easily, um, uh, is a movie I hate un, un, with, uh, with unreserved loathing. And there's a moment in each of those moments, movies, when you hate something, there's like a crystallizing moment when if you had something, you would throw it at the screen if you were, uh, you know, unrestrained. And it's when in in American Beauty, the uh, the evil retired army guy who mistreats his son, who is the one who photographs right. the plastic bag floating because it's so beautiful. And he's evil and he beats him and it's a, you know, and and then somebody goes into his garage and discovers that he has Nazi memorabilia. Right. I have Because it's not enough that he's in the American, it's not enough that he abuses his son. It's also that he's a Nazi. And then it's like, (laughs) oh, go screw yourself. (laughs) You Hollywood pieces. So you're pro-Nazi now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pro-Nazi. Exactly. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah. Well, it's also just like that entire genre of. It's like whenever things are going okay in this country, Hollywood is determined to say that the real heart of darkness, the true source of all evil, right. is the suburbs. And that if all you have to do is peel back just the slightest onion paper thin layer to yeah. reveal everyone is miserable, everyone is horrible. And only if you yeah. could be like, you know, Lester Burnham, the, the Kevin Spacey character, um, and decide to become a total friggin' Nietzschean nihilist. Yeah. And burn it all down. That's the only thing that'll make you free and happy. And yeah. I just, that whole shit Here's a, is yeah. exhausting. Here's so, another terrible movie that people love. Yes. Ordinary People. Oh, thank oh, you. Yeah, thank you. The terrible movie. movies. Yeah. Thank it's you. It's a terrible movie, but I remember watching Also, it. The Evil and, Suburbs. Yeah. My brother and I used to do this joke. We used to do this, We still do it every now and then. We're like, <laughs> You know, uh, Mary Tyler Moore is just this evil sociopath mother whose son died, oldest son died, drowns, and she blames the youngest son, played by Timothy Hutton. And the, the, uh, the uptight wasps who live in the uh, Chicago, sub- northern Chicago suburbs. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, they, and the son is only helped by going to the big, loud, emotional shrink played by Judd Hirsch. She's like, ba- who, who <laughs> yeah. actually it's like, it's like a Der Sturmer cartoon, but like the, <laughs> the lighter side, you know, he's like, Hey, yeah. you got to express your feelings. And, um, yeah. 
<laughs> like don't express. I don't put much stock in dreams. I want to know how yeah. you feel. Don't tell yeah, me yeah. about your dreams. Yeah, <laughs> Timothy. <Hutton. laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. So there's this moment where uh, they're all playing golf, and um, uh, I think uh, someone suggests they all have Christmas, and uh, and Mary Taylor was, oh, Christmas in London would be lovely. Go to London for Christmas. And then poor old Donald Sutherland, the dad says, yeah, we could bring uh, bring our son, bring the son to Christmas, I guess. And then she, Mary Tyler Moore starts to shut down and gets very angry. And um, and then her neighbor, her the people she's playing with in the foursome turn, and go, it's OK, OK, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And, and she and she bursts out on them. She says, well, what, what uh, are you? Are you? Uh, you don't know what I'm going something, but you don't know what I'm going through. Uh, uh, what if your son drowned in that swimming pool you're so proud of? <laughs> so ever uh, since then my yeah. brother and i've always said like here's this thing that you're so proud of it's like so terribly over the top <laughs> it's so 70s in which the solution yeah. is to go see a what seems to me to be an unlicensed therapist but you know go see a therapist in a big chunky cardigan sweater who will hug you of course and of course a jewish therapist well definitely sure. wasps and and there's a I moment. Remember, I wrote it. Yeah. No, there's. A, yeah. So so she's a wasp and Donald Sutherland's a wasp and Timothy Hutton is a wasp. And he's saved by the warm, cuddly Jewish guy. Now, I should enjoy that. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, leave them alone. They're part <laughs> yes. of a, they're part of a wonderful tradition of emotional restraint yes. <laughs> that America that America built this country at critical times in our history. Yes. Yeah. You know, we need people who can like Arnold shove their feelings down so that yes. they can progress. Correct, it's like Tony Soprano's sir. speech about his dry silent time. You know? We need yeah. people who can climb the cliffs of Navarone. That's yeah. what we need. We don't need Judd Hirsch. That's what we say. We say take the hurt and the shame and the trauma and and hide it someplace deep. Just take it and bury it someplace <laughs> deep. That's the healthy way. There it's is a American moment, way. actually, a fantastic moment in Ordinary People where um, they're all having like a Christmas dinner or something. And um, somehow the subject of uh, the boys, you know, therapist comes up and it's like someone says something like, uh, Oh uh, yes, you know he's seen that Doctor Melmanstein. Uh, you know that's like some horrible anti-Semitic name. And one of the relatives turns in horror and says, "A, a Jewish doctor? <laughs> like I don't know one wasp Even... who would ever say. Well, every wasp I know would say, go make sure that your doctor's Jewish.' Even right. Archie Bunker. There was that whole episode where Archie Bunker is like, we have." Find the Jewish doctor. I think we ought to wait for Dr. Shapiro. I'm assisting Dr. Shapiro. Now turn over. Oh, no, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want to know one thing. Shapiro's doing the operation. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Now turn over. Oh, gee, one night I'll tell you something. I, I don't mind the West Indian shot in the butt there, but <laughs> when it comes to the operation, I want a regular, normal, everyday American hospital operation, you know? And I, I can't use any fires or dancing or rotten bones. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that, man, because I was going to sacrifice a monkey. Jeez. Oh, right. 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 That was the whole point. Like, you need yeah. a Jewish, if you're going to go to the, the doctor. Yeah. A Jewish doctor a Jewish you're so proud doctor. of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, God. There's a great anyway. episode of, uh, there's a great skit. I mean, I'm probably butchering it because it's been like 30 years. 
on the old Tracy Ullman show where she plays this Australian woman who goes to therapy really reluctantly. Mm -hmm. And, and it's her part of her joke about how Australians aren't like Americans and don't internalize stuff. And so she like has some problem and the therapist says, you know, you might just want to try to put it behind you. And she goes, that makes total sense. That's it. I'm cured. You know, and it's like whatever advice it is, she doesn't need to hear it 30 times twice a week. You know, right. just sort of yeah. like, I get it. You know, thank okay, you, well, Dr. Melman Steenberg. <laughs> I will tell uh, you, you know, this. Harry, uh, Harry, she Harry, Shearer, I said before you do, yes, Harry Shearer and Tom Leopold, who are two friends of mine, very funny guys, once tried to come by writing a play or something. They once tried to come up with the name, the character name that a deeply anti-Semitic author would come yes. up for a Jewish character. And they came up with this one. Mezuzah, I love money nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will tell you the, the popular culture thing that I disliked. There were uh, a novel. I will give you a novel. And then I will give you a TV show that I disliked in this way about you talk about movies, about movies that you hate. So there's a novel that I hate this way, hated this way and hate this way. And there's a TV show. And the novel is Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow, which is essentially, if he if he had been cleverer, he would have come up with the 1619 Project. Because it's the 1619 Project only, it really is set in 1906. So if he had thought a little bit, it's the same theme. It's the irredeemable viciousness, right. monstrousness, and horror of the United States in every way, shape, or form. And it's a loathsome book. And the TV show is MASH. I hated oh, MASH. Me too. I love Larry Gelbart, who was the creator of MASH, oh, who was genius, one of the funniest funny. people who ever lived and wrote an extraordinary play called Sly Fox. He wrote, a, he wrote Tootsie. He was, but the pompous self-aggrandizing i hate self-infatuated i hate death. portrait yeah and you know funny robert robert altman who made the original movie was on charlie rose or something once and somebody said to him it's really amazing how this movie you made mash not only made your career but it was this it ran it was this unbelievably successful show i'm sure it made you a lot of money he said well it didn't make me any money it made my son an enormous fortune because he wrote the song suicide is painless for the movie oh i didn't know that, that. was the theme uh -huh. song of the tv show huh. and so he made tens of millions of dollars off residuals from the tv show but i didn't make anything and i won't watch it and i wouldn't watch it and somebody said to altman whom i don't like and i thought was a also i don't like nashville and stuff like that. but but he said the korean war lasted three years uh mash the tv show was on for 11 years and i think that's immoral it's immoral to bring war into everybody's home for 11 years particularly when the war on tv la you know the war on tv seems endless and never never and, and unresolvable and while i think he was basically full of it and yeah just envious because he didn't get residuals from it uh there is something to that idea it's like really no, i don't think so i don't think that, now, that it's not a category Klinger, now clinger has ptsd well right but if now but that, here that, comes that, that's, yeah, that's an argument okay. that's not it's not immoral to make a bad show it's like it's just a bad show 
There's nothing yeah, immoral he wasn't about saying it. it was bad. He was saying that they were perpetuating, they were making war thinkable because it's yeah, like that's what I mean. in your living no, room every I, week. I, I don't know. We, we've talked about Match a Bunch on here. I, yeah. I, I, in retrospect, I can't watch it all at all anymore, but I do think it got worse over time. Yeah. And every character that was replaced, every new character replaced a better character. Yeah. And, um, and then they got really formulaic, you know, funny subplot morose major plot um but this idea that it's immoral to bring war into people's homes explains why it got so much worse over time is they it's like they felt guilty yeah about having a war show so they just got so preachy about how terrible war was yeah also the world culture changed you know culture changed so much in the 70s that um the things that the Alan Alda character Hawkeye Pierce would do and say and tr- how he treated women would now just be shocking. Right. Um, but they also have these crazy anachronisms like uh, Mike Farrell uh, would, uh, you know, would some, at some point say this is set in 1951 would say things like, uh, you know, we've got to be careful about our, our, the chemicals in our food. We need to eat more <laughs> organic food. And, you know, it's just so weird stuff like, you know, women's rights. This is really important. You know, women should, you know, it's like a 51. I know. <laughs> um, well, and of hey, course, Alan Alda. Yeah. So Hawkeye was like a Randy in the movie, in the, for the original movie and in the book, um, which was written, you know, pseudonymously because the doctor who wrote the book was like practicing in Maine and didn't want to get into trouble. Um, you know, it was like, feeling up the nurses and doing this and yeah. doing that. And there's Alan Alda. And of course, so yeah, he starts out that way. And then Alan Alda tries to mitigate this by he's a activist for he's an ERA activist. He joins the board of now. He writes for Ms. You know, and and all that, all that stuff. And uh one of the first pieces I ever wrote uh for the American Spectator when I was in college was about this movie he made called The Four Seasons. He wrote and directed, and it was him and Carol Burnett and a couple of other things. And I said in this piece that he showed very distinct signs of having vagina envy. (laughs) And I will give all the credit for this, which is 40 years later, 35, 37 years later, he wrote a memoir and he quoted my piece and said, you know, everyone had this idea about me that I was like this, you know, essentially woke guy, but uh, that actually wasn't me at all. Like I was a gambler. I did, you know, I was like, Mm -hmm. I was, I was out all, you know, I lived separately from my wife I had all kinds of stuff but it was sort of a weird moment in my life because i completely <laughs> forgotten this piece existed hmm. and um, those are the comments you want to read uh, but, but, yeah. I, but i think the last uh 30 minutes has proved is that we don't need three of us twitter to engage in toxic hate fests <laughs> we've talked about things we hate <laughs> But before we continue, I just want to say something about our next partner, Athletic Greens, AG1. 
Uh, HE1 is the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health, and I drink it literally every day. Now, I gave HE1 a try because I heard about it on, uh, I think, Tim Ferriss. This is a, this happened how long ago? This month, maybe 10 years ago. Um, uh, and I was and I was taking all these, uh, you know, t- so, uh, you know, if you tell me I need vitamin whatever K, I'll take vitamin K. I, I, I needed to like, s- you know, simplify everything. And so I drink AG1 in the afternoon. I drink it when I sort of feel my energy a little low. And instead of having a cup of coffee, it makes me feel, um, you know, uh, uh, get more energy and healthy. And it's also kind of a great way to get, a, you know, get your your hydration in. Um, and I've been drinking it about 10 years. And my overall feeling of health and vitality has gone way up. And I know when I. Uh, when I travel, sometimes I forget the packs. I know it. I feel it. It's a definite benefit. Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients of high quality that give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails. And I get the single serving AG1 travel packs. Those are, frankly, I recommend those. Those are the best. So you never have to miss a day. Just don't forget to pack them. Uh, and I just mix the powder to ice cold water and drink it uh, anytime. You can just put it in a water bottle and shake it up and you're fine. Um, if you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs, which I guarantee you'll become addicted to with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com slash glop. That's drinkag1, all one word dot com slash glop check it out and we thank them for sponsoring the glop podcast which they've been doing for a while uh and it is in fact a great product it's nice it's to the be jewish able to therapist of nutritional supplements it is it's all you need <laughs> <laughs> hey john can i ask you a question yes so you're the only one on this podcast who uh served in the white house yeah. and so i'm just thank you for your service yeah, thank you for your service. Uh, I, I understand it was a hell of a like ride. To, even now, I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> um, I have emotional. I'm emotionally restrained. Um, I just so, drink and I beat my children. And uh, um, yes. I'm just kind of curious when when you lost your cocaine in the White House. Yeah. Um, what was the uh, general institutional response? I mean. Uh, was it a big deal? Was like, did Andy Ferguson say happens all the time? I mean, does like what? How did how that work? Well, I have been absolutely gobsmacked over the course of this week by this story about the cocaine in the White House, because we all know. That the only reason that there is a story that somebody found a bag, a little bag of cocaine in the White House is because the president's son, who seems to live at the White House, is a either recovering or not particularly recovering crack addict. And he is the closest person to the president of the United States to have a drug problem that was ongoing as late as 2018. And two things about this story. One, so they find cocaine in the White House, and it's a story that has been covered for days. And obviously it's been covered for days, not because anybody cares whether or not there's a person on the thousand-person staff of the White House or among the hundreds of visitors of the White House who somehow managed to drop a dime bag somewhere in a cubby, if that is actually where it was found. But because the president's son has a cocaine problem that he is either uh, work to conquer or that he is not conquering. Okay. But 
the mainstream press will not frame the story as a story about Hunter Biden. Right. So they're covering it as though it's a huge scandal that in a White House in which there are thousands of people going in and out, there's one little, you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a half a gram of cocaine in a baggie that somebody found. So that's number one, which is so there's this incredible disingenuousness, which is being covered, but it's not being covered about why it's being covered. And the other part of the story is why do we know that this happened? White houses are not open places. Right. Yeah. And news of what is going on inside White Houses is suppressed constantly, all the time. So, and I've speculated about this on the commentary podcast, there is a world in which this is Hunter's cocaine, and they are doing a very serious modified limited hangout because they're trying to get Hunter into rehab they had to let the story out that there was cocaine because people were talking about it in and around the secret service or whoever found it and they're doing something about it. And I'm amazed to be able to feel comfortable saying this because you know, what do I know? I don't know anything about Hunter except that there was a picture of him in bed with a crack pipe hanging out of his mouth that is less than five years old. That was on his laptop. And that's where I come to. And do they know whose cocaine it is? By now, of course they know <laughs> whose cocaine it is. There are cameras everywhere. Every, yeah. People walk through the White House. I'm sure now there are biometric uh, on their passes. On the White House pass, when you work in a White House, people have different levels of access. There are rooms they can go into and rooms they can't. There are corridors they can go in and corridors they can't. And by now, I'm sure that they literally have a map like the subway map and the taking of Pelham 123 where they can follow people yeah. in real time. I mean, especially like, post-COVID. Especially, especially post-COVID. Post right. So do they know whose cocaine it is? Of course they know whose cocaine it is, which also raises the specter that it's Hunter's cocaine. Because right. why don't if it, they... If it wasn't, they would hang whoever yeah. it was out to dry. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not the sort of person... I thought for a long time it wasn't the, like that the Hunter line of argument or inquiry was a stretch on the part of people on the right. I thought it was terrible that efforts to talk about the laptop were suppressed because of the suppression, not because of what was on the laptop. But I don't know. Like, this is very disturbing. And there is this one little video clip. I don't know if everybody's seen of Hunter on the, I think on July 4th, of Hunter on the sort of parapet balcony um, on the White House with his father and stepmother and his sister, I don't know, her baby or something like that. And he looks really weird and unwell. And he seems to be wiping his nose with his arm. And he looks, we all know people who have had problems, particularly with that drug. And like, just from the two seconds that you look at it, unless it's been AI'd or doctored or deep faked, he does not look, he, he no, looks he congruent yeah. with somebody who is in the midst of some kind of a 
experience with that drug. That's all I'm saying. That's the end of my peroration here. Um, and you managed to dodge the question about how you responded when you lost cocaine in the White House. But that's, <laughs> that's let's put it aside. I understand you don't want to address it. Um, you want to keep your emotions buried. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I think I, I made this point on Twitter and all these people went nuts on me. Um, I was like, if it had been a small bag of anthrax, we, and we would know exactly what happened, right? And I'm not oh, saying that it's... And I was like, oh, you, you think cocaine's as bad as anthrax? Said, no, not at all. I'm just saying it's like it can't be a function of the fact that it was a small bag and a white powder, whatever, because if they want to truly know and publicize the answer to it, they would have. And the only other thing that you left out, I think, that is just really, really weird is how they keep moving, changing the story about where it was found. Yeah. Like, get yeah. Those- now it's. Get now those facts it, down. You know, now they say you... it was found close to Kamala Harris's car or something. Like, <laughs> you could just see the the heavy hand of like never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> um, I I am I am fascinated by this one thing, which is last year the draft of the Dobbs decision was leaked, right? And the Supreme Court did an investigation, and they say we can't find the leaker. There are two ways of looking at that story. One of which is they can't find the leaker, but probably now it will never again be possible for somebody to leak because they will inst- they will create protocols and inst- and instill there'll be a method of tracking documents and things, and it will never happen again. And the other is that they know who did it, and it's one of the justices, so they're not letting us know who it was right. because that would really be institutional suicide you know like a kind of weird horrible moment at which we're in unprecedented and uncharted territory but i don't know which it is but it's probably one of the two okay number two but there is no way that they don't know where everybody is in the white house at all times do you know what it's like to be a visitor to the white house yeah you have to send them your birthday. You have to send them your social security. You often but, have to fill out an entire document. The question is, take your picture. Yeah. I'm sure there is facial recognition. Like my car, I have a new car. I have a new a Subaru Outback. Oh, your Subaru. Car, thank you. It's great. I it's my great. car has facial recognition software. Yeah. You think they don't have facial recognition software in the White House? I I just think it's weird. Who? First of all, two things I would say. One is. I think it's weird how many people live in the White House and we just don't really know about it. They but they live in the White House. Like Hunter Biden lived in the White House. Valerie Jarrett lived in the White House, the Obama White House. She lived yeah. there. She was a resident of the White House. Like, yeah. like it's such a weird thing. Like who knows who lived? I mean, Melania did not live in the White House. That was what was weird about the Trump thing. Um, but also like it's interesting how wait, did I mean, Melania not did, live in the White House? No, no, she lived to, you know, she didn't, she was there occasionally but she was they were not they were not uh, together um what, what, what's weird is like how low rent america got it got really low rent really quickly got like i don't know whether it's yeah i don't know whether i i start the clock with trump or or not but like it got the lincoln so, bedroom thing if you're going to talk about the white house yeah, going low rent right i think you gotta yeah. start with the okay it's gotta it, start it didn't there. happen under poppy yeah no well, right look, yeah no so like Jimmy Carter had this trash brother 
right? But everybody has was like every president, right? Has but that. he didn't live in the White House. Yeah, right. He lived in he didn't Georgia. Didn't go to a state dinner. And the Libyans the were day trying after to he him. was indicted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and also, what I find so strange is the weird, the the the. I don't know whether it's the people don't know history or they just are, are are constantly alarmed or everything has to be a breaking news crisis. But the fact that the president's son is clearly guilty of influence peddling, the fact that the the, the previous president's children were probably also guilty of influence peddling. I mean, George Bush's brother and a son, Neil, was probably, you know, like th- this stuff happens. It's not, it's not, it's not shocking. I mean, it's, t- it's not right. I'm not saying it's okay, but it isn't as if you have to um, uh, throw out all of your political beliefs because people influence pedal. That, that actually is something that the, the founders were aware of and worried about. So a, I don't understand I the, the need to. Why, why is it so hard to for for just the press in general just to say, yeah, Hunter Biden, he's been influence peddling. That's bad. I want to point out that it's even funnier than that in terms of a con, because who has less influence in America than the former vice That's president funny. of the United States when the administration is an administration of the opposite party. Night, if in 2017, Tony Bobolinsky and Hunter Biden and his partner Devin Archer and all these people are going around selling Joe Biden's yeah. influence, right? When it was not even in the cards that he might run for president. So what they're doing is they're going around snowing idiot third world tin pot dictators and okay, businessmen sure. into thinking that they have right. proximity to power when they have no proximity to power. And in that sense, you got to give them some snaps. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is a good con. That is, is a quality you know what? con. Here's, it's, here, I, I just, I, I just, let me just say this and you can tell me when I'm wrong. I think that you can put a whole bunch of Foreign blunders. Um, I think probably the invasion of Ukraine in many ways. I think the foreigners in general have such a crackpot, distorted view of American politics and culture. I've never met a foreigner, one foreigner of any of any level who really understood anything about American politics. Yeah. And they because they because they they assiduously read The New York Times. So they get this crazy idea of what actually happens in America. Or if they're on the right, if they're like Victor Orban, they're watching Fox News. So right. the, the windows they're choosing to look through, look through to see America are so bizarre and distorted that, you know, it, like, yeah. why would you not go on the why would you not grift those guys? Those guys are like they're so right. Willfully ignorant. And it's well, not right. even politicians in this case. These are businessmen. And they really might be incredibly provincial, or they're just living off. They they bribe people in China as yeah. Chinese businessmen, so they figure bribe people in America. Oh, the former vice president, he'll you know he he's gonna give us though the access. Right, he's still a member of the American Politburo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just very, as I say, no, I think there's a way in which when when Hunter writes that email to the guy, it says according to this according to the. Uh, the IRS, the guy justice, the IRS guy, like, you know, 
You'll have 10 minutes or I'm out of here. And I'm going to tell the big guy that you are like this, you know, like that. And it's like, and what's he going to do? Like you're saving, like save yourself the money. <laughs> don't yeah, be don't be intimidated by Hunter Biden. It sort of it reminds me. I had this theory. Uh, other people came to it later. I was always pissed. No one credited me, and it turned out not to be true. But I remember remember when American media, uh, the company, the parent company of the the oh, Guire, yeah. got yeah. attacked with the anthrax stuff. Yeah, I was like, there's a non-trivial chance that, like, Al Qaeda thought, oh, it's the headquarters of the American media. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, um, but I, I do want to say that and we're running long and I got to I got to go before my wife starts yelling at me. But um, I think two points. One, Trump took advantage of this kind of thing a lot before he ran for office where he could not raise money on domestic capital markets. So he became part of his strategy was to be known as the richest guy in America so that, you know, like loser Kyrgyzstan oil executives yeah. would think yeah. he's like a real guy. Um, yeah. But then the other thing, I think it's just worth pointing out and maybe I'll write about this because I hadn't thought about this is so much of the ass clownery of domestic political debate kind of works on the same assumption, right? I mean, like the whole mm -hmm. thing in Patrick Deneen's thing about the ruling class in America yeah. is that it's this homogenous thing. Right. And same thing with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. They talk about like billionaires as if they're this homogenous group of people yeah. who all buy the same politics, have the same politics, have the same interests. And you know, like and the, the post liberal nationalist types, they talk about how there's this, you know, hegemonic ruling class that they are on the out of. And yet, if you know anything about American politics, right, it's yeah. sort of the point you were making about like, like getting the inside track to Joe Biden's ear in 2017 is like you know, getting yeah. Larry Storch in 1978 to read your script. It only does <laughs> yeah. so much for you. You know, yeah, exactly right. Oh, people would say, I remember when I first moved to uh, LA, you know, when you're like, I was a struggling film student and like you, you'd have these people would like somehow lord it over you. Like, like people hang around UCLA, the film school and every time you get invited to parties and stuff, there's always some guys thing. I, uh, I, uh, I'm a talent manager. I manage writers and actors. Uh, you might've heard of one of my clients, uh, you know, Victoria principal. <laughs> like, oh yeah. 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 Well, Victoria is looking for a new vehicle. I'm like a car. No, no. She's looking for a new vehicle. I'm, like, it's just like, and there'd be people obviously who would invest a lot of time and effort in making sure they could get their script to Victoria principal, yeah. but there was never really any, uh, there never any outcome of it that was worthwhile. But, but what was amazing yeah. was how easy it was. Look, people want to know that they're, yeah that they have an in. And, you know, the, as they always say, you can't really con an honest person. They have to believe they're getting something no one else is getting. Um, and I, that's probably, so in a way, you know, I guess props to Hunter for, for, for going on the grift. That's what I'm saying. I, you know, you remind me of one thing cause we're talking about movies we hated and here's a movie that I love and I've seen recently and I still love, though it has a bad ending and it's kind of a remarkable piece of work and that's shampoo, which is the 
uh, movie set on election night 1968 in Los Angeles. Warren Beatty is sort of a hairdresser, uh, like a celeb, uh, kind of like a high end hairdresser. And it's about his very complicated sex life where he's got a girlfriend in Julie Christie, that another girl, Julie Christie is the mistress of a of a guy named Lester. Lester's married to Lee Grant, and he has a girlfriend in Goldie Hawn, Warren Beatty, and he's sleeping with all three of them. And then Lester figures out all, and it's all on election night. And it's kind of a remarkable movie. And there's this one piece of writing, throwaway line, where Warren Bay is trying to get a loan so he can open his own shop and he's in a bank and somebody says, well, why should we lend you the money? And he's like, well, I, I, I do Barbara Rush. Barbara Rush was an actress of the 1960s. Uh, she was married to Ben Gazzara. She was like one of those people who guest starred on every show. She was a very sort of classy guest star person who never really made it as a big star. And that, Robert Town, the famous screenwriter, wrote Shampoo. And just that one throwaway line, that's when you know something isn't the family stone. You you don't, <laughs> if you don't know it, yeah, if you don't know who right. Barbara Rush, it doesn't make sense. It is perfectly flavored. It is the it, sociologically perfect. It is the sort of, and it fits in with this whole idea that you're Warren Beatty's George character and you're trying to get somebody and snow somebody. And the answer is, you know what? It's uh, Barbara Rush. And either you buy it or you don't buy it. And the bank guy doesn't buy it at all. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I know we got to run. I just want to read just yeah. the lead, just as my final farewell. Um, uh, the lead of uh, the uh, last week in, sun in the Sunday paper last week in the modern love column which I think is the most quintessential New York Timesy, New York Timesy modern love column reader, uh, writer, lead editor. And then we can go. I just want to read this because I just loved it so much. So modern love is a column where people talk about, you know, contemporary love stories or contemporary divorce stories or contemporary stuff, right? It's in the style section. Written by a woman named Belle Burden, the, and, <laughs> which we, Tom Wolfe would love, love that name. Uh, and it's about uh, her husband leaving her and her family uh, during COVID. And this is the lead. When the lockdown started in March 2020, my husband and I decided to quarantine with our two youngest children, then 15 and 12, at our house on Martha's Vineyard. We arrived on March 15 and settled in for a long stay, unpacking sweaters and boots, textbooks, and cellos. <laughs> I just... How me. many cellos? How many cellos <laughs> do you have in one family? Like, like, I'm sorry that you got divorced. I'm sorry your husband left you, but uh, that made me that I really enjoyed that. Yes. Um, anybody reading anything, recommending anything? I recommended the obviously the Arnold documentary. I love the bear. Not as much as my wife does, but I think the bear is wonderful. Um and uh not a big fan of silo people keep telling me to watch it trying secret invasion which is the marvel show is one mm -hmm. of the worst things i've ever seen they spent 250 pretty they spent 250 so million dollars on it yeah and uh it's a disaster and you know the sort of the decline of marvel over the last 4 years is a show business miracle in itself that will, should be studied in business schools and in creative 
forever because they had this 11-year run, unprecedented, and they concluded the run with an enormous triumph. And then they tried to keep going, and they had nothing to say and nowhere to go. And it's been four years of havoc. And it's just a fascinating study in popular culture that, you know, sort of get off the stage. When you when you when you reach your triumph, you gotta kind of like find something else to do, maybe. I don't know. Rob, what about you? You know what I'm reading? I mean, I'm reading a book I haven't read, and I don't think I finished when I started reading it. I'm reading The Man in the Iron Mask. Oh God. I love those books. Yeah, they're great. Dumas. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy about now. I'm remembering it. I'm, I'm not crazy about the ending. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I know what the, how it ends, and I would fix it. Those three Dumas books that I've read. Great. I mean, there are four of them, but I haven't read. But uh, the three months the little years, The Count of Monte Cristo and The Man in the Iron Mask. They are so wonderful. Are and... they in The Count of Monte Cristo? Huh. I don't think they're in the Count of Monte Cristo. No, they're not in the Count of Monte Cristo. Okay, we got to go. Jonah's got to go. We all have to go. (laughs) Ma the Elder. Gotta love him. Gotta love him. See you guys. Bye. Host Scott, it said you were again the host. I don't have a stop recording. <laughs>